Hi, and welcome to Growth, a podcast that seeks to inspire entrepreneurs, interact with ambitious people, and be a source of information that enables you to grow both as a company and individually. I am Matthias, and I'll be your host. In this episode, we will meet Shartan Sletter, the COO and co-founder of Unicast. I met him for a talk about the growth journey of Unicast, where he shared insight to how they have used storytelling as an asset for both PR, talent acquisition, and raising capital. All right, Shartan, welcome to Growth. Thank you so much. It's very nice to have you here. Um, Before we start and go into the depth of things, Why don't you introduce yourself to those that might not know you from before? Yeah, my name is Shartan, or as I go by in the English-speaking world, KJ, which I think is... KJ, okay. I've always wanted to be like this uh, college frat member, <laughs> so I think it's this is the closest I can get, <laughs> probably. Okay. Uh, yeah, and I'm the co-founder of a company called Unicast. Prior to that, I was part of starting a company called Tidal, which was a music streaming company. And now we are uh, trying to grow Unicast to become as big as humanly possible. That's And that's a good theme for today, right? Yeah, it is. It's Growth. great. It's great. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell me, Unicast, mm-hmm. in very short words, what's it all about? Yeah, we're trying to... We were curious to see all these companies being becoming really good at understanding our digital uh, interactions and presence. Uh, usual suspects are Facebook, Google, LinkedIn, uh, etc. And we were curious why there aren't companies trying to understand the physical uh, aspect of interactions and uh, connections. So we started Unicast to try to build a data set over a real world. And we call it a real world graph. Basically trying to depict uh, aggregated movements across the world. Some might not know about Unicast from before. Why don't you give us an idea about what you do? So as, as a, like an example, we are helping uh, road uh, authorities around the world plan highway developments, city developments. We are, especially now post-COVID, working with a lot of retailers globally to try to understand this new normal about shopping behavior. And also real estate, like Epicenter, for instance, where are the new hotspots, which areas are, are, are dying or thriving. Again, uh, on on on, at, on the back of COVID nineteen, very 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 difficult to use history to predict the future when it comes yeah. to the physical usage of our surroundings. Yeah. yeah, interesting. How's the growth journey for Unicast been like since you founded the company? Yeah, so it's interesting because we were always perhaps even obsessed with it because we felt that one of the big mistakes we we did with Tidal collectively and individually was that we weren't growth-focused enough. We didn't even classify ourselves as a startup. So while Spotify across the, uh, in, in Sweden uh, raised tons of cash, expanded globally very aggressively, we were kind of trying to make every country be cash positive and then go to next. So we were much slower in effect. So when we started Unicast, we, we wanted to kind of rectify that error by immediately raising uh, venture capital, immediately moving to the U.S., where we have our HQ still uh, in New York, and and, uh, and and have a journey that is tightly connected to the fundraising. So we've been very active 
fundraising. We raised about 35 million USD until now, and we are about to announce uh, very, very soon a new funding round. Um, and I would say that our growth, uh, uh, let's say growth uh, spikes have always been connected to the funding rounds. Um, yeah. And so we are now in the face of doubling our team, hiring uh, like 50 plus people uh, at this very moment, actually, in this, this, this fall. Yeah. So, so yeah, uh, cap capital is the key word I want to extract uh, from our growth journey. And then using that capital to take interesting positions with interesting tech in a huge emerging market that we believe in. Yeah. Interesting. And for how long has been journey, this journey been ongoing for you? Uh, we had a year uh, after Tidal where we did like our homework, uh, tried to set up the business plan and et cetera, et cetera. And for that, we had saved cash. So Thomas, like only my co-founder, Thomas, uh, could do that for, uh, only that for a year. And then we raised our first round, was it in 2016? Yeah. So about five years. We're about five years in. Yeah. And we raised our B round, 17.5 uh, million at the time, um, US dollars in 2018. And then um, we were slated to raise uh, in 2020, like like 18 to, to 24 months, I would say is like a typical yeah. interval of VC capital fundraising because then you have a year plus to build and yeah. only build and then you have six months to raise of course in parallel with building yeah, yeah, yeah. but it takes a lot of energy from founders to raise capital yeah uh, so we were slated to raise um, uh, when COVID hit but then we decided to wait a okay. year and that's what that's what we're doing now racing again yeah, yeah. cool and on speaking of COVID, how has COVID impacted yourself and Unicast? Have you been been forced to work in a different way? Have you uh, you're saying that you're hiring or doubling mm. the amount of employees mm. in the coming period? Mm. So it sounds like things are going well. Yeah, I believe so uh, COVID had like you could look at three categories of COVID impacted companies. You have the ones that just exploded through the roof like uh, video conferencing software like Whereby yeah. uh, in, in Norway, but Zoom perhaps is the most uh, typical example. You have food delivery like Oda yeah. um, or Amazon globally, uh, that just exploded with all, all their e-commerce uh, products. And then you had, <coughs> sorry, then you had the companies that were totally wiped out. For instance, if you were in uh, tourism or travel, it was a hard, hard, hard uh, 12 to 18 months. Uh, and then you had a, a set of companies in the middle that were both impacted negatively and positively, and that that we were one of those. Yeah. So we grew quite healthily, um, um, but we had product categories that were more impacted than others. For instance, we, we have some products in the MarTech vertical, and and marketing is very uh, kind of uh, connected to the well-being of the global economy. This is, is you can all, marketing spend expenditure at companies is almost exactly always one percent of the total kind of uh, uh, revenue. Yeah. So when that goes down, marketing goes, goes down. down. Yeah. Uh, but then, uh, the, uh, but that's that's kind of the category that we 
uh, originally focused the most on because, yeah, for reasons. <laughs> but uh, the latter years, we have been focused more on retail, real estate. I mentioned some of those examples, city development, more bigger societal challenges. And those, uh, those were uh, very much, um, we have a lot of positive uh, impact on those uh, products and those categories. In addition to, of course, social distancing being a huge topic uh, yeah. during COVID-19. And how do you understand social distancing? Movement. Yeah. And we build some free products and data models to help the US uh, states and counties to uh, connect uh, both uh, the spread of the disease and their public public measures to the actual social distancing going on uh, out there. And that, that gathered quite a lot of attention. So I remember especially one time we were on, uh, was it Fox News? Uh, and our, yeah, our, our CEO, Thomas, was there being interviewed. And, and the next, next person on after him was Mike Pence. Yeah, <laughs> it was at that okay. level yeah. for a couple of months there. So, okay. so, so like uh, interest-wise, huge, huge positive effect. So in total, uh, except of course the global um, misery, uh, which is still ongoing for us as a company, uh, it was uh, was a boost. Yeah, yeah, that sounds great. I mean, all the publicity you've got and. I mean, though it's been a tough time for a lot of people, uh, I'm really glad to hear that you've been able to turn parts of it into something that's been good. Now, looking back to your journey with Unicost, what would you say have been the most successful moves that you've done? And would you, if you could, do them over again? Well, what we did when we started, which I would do again, is uh, storytelling. And we, we, we did get some negative uh, feedback on it at the time, uh, but it largely due to a very young uh, uh, startup community still. But we were very, very, very active because we knew that nobody cared. Uh, we were building something that didn't exist. And uh, in addition to all this, it was, a very, as I said, a very young startup community. So it wasn't like VCs everywhere or, or like there wasn't... Uh, articles being written about startups every other day in the end and Shifter didn't exist, etc. So we knew that we needed to get attention in order to go on our growth journey. So I told this story before, but we, and I think this is like, you can't do the same today, but it, I think, I hope it can be inspiration. We, we, we recognized that, that in E24 at the time, they had started to write some, uh, some stories about uh, people from established companies not uh, to a large enough extent quitting to start new companies. And we, we saw that there was one journalist in particular that were writing these stories. So we wrote her and said, we are one of those that you are uh, screaming <laughs> out for. <laughs> yeah. uh, we're doing this uh, and uh, we are going, we are willing to share our story with you and your readers. Uh, so we could write a bi-weekly column about our startup journey. And here is the first piece. Yeah. And that led to what at that time was called Grunderbloggen, mm. which then again led to DN Grunder and kind of started that some of that uh, interest in, 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 in the financial press to write about startups. Yeah. So we had for a year plus until we uh, said no, we, we haven't don't have the time anymore. We had a free direct channel to every reader of E24 
where we could write what we wanted. Yeah. Because it was a blog post about our journey. But of course, it was yeah. a big, bold brag piece <laughs> where we could talk about we wanted to raise cash and how amazing uh, <laughs> we were and our journey were. It was yeah. almost incredible that we were allowed to. Yeah. But I would, you couldn't do that today, but I would. I would think about how 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 do I get how do I cut through yeah to get noticed because there's even more companies today right yeah it even is even harder yeah harder to get attention at least in the large national medias I should yeah. mention now yeah and yeah. that brings me to uh, to hiring right yeah uh, we're still benefiting from our name being one of the names that you typically know about and now that uh, hiring is becoming so much more difficult because there are relatively few technical talents in Norway yeah. versus the immense increase in, in interesting startups and, and the influx of capital. Uh, being known uh, is a huge uh, benefit yeah. when, when, when hiring. Yeah, so kind of using that storytelling momentum into your recruitment process, that's, that's great. I mean, once, uh, once you get these candidates into your system or into processes, of yours, what are typically things that they wonder about Oslo or the Nordics? Yeah, it's a good question. Or? Yeah, I speak to a lot of these candidates, of course. So, yeah. so number one is, of course, the purpose of the company. Yeah, and there is this hollowed-out shell of Silicon Valley mentality that is starting to become very apparent. Yeah, where we have companies that are empty inside yeah <laughs> <laughs> not to go into more details but there's no yeah. soul no uh, and people are as i said increasingly looking for soul yeah. uh, and, and, and purpose um so that's of course th that's the that's just the box you have to tick you have to be an interesting company yeah. but outside that it is uh, uh how do you work um uh, and, and now post-COVID, how many days are you at the office versus at home? Uh, how, how how far is your workplace from where you typically live? Because remember, in many, many big cities uh, around the world, you use half of your life commuting in and out, right? Yeah. You can't yeah. live in the city center, no. even close to it. Yeah. Um, um, and then, it's, then there are specific questions about Oslo, like, how close are we to nature? Uh, give me some examples of summer and winter activities. Yeah. Um, if you are to write age, how's the um, how's the welfare uh, arrangements around having kids, mm. uh, vacation, etc. Those things. Yeah. But with all of those questions are so easy to answer. Yeah. In Oslo, when you have when you have a company in Oslo, because all of them are kick ass. Yeah. Like yeah. you don't have you don't have to you don't have to brand it. It's just it it is. I can I can genuinely say this is a fantastic city to live in. Yeah, yeah. And I can just just <laughs> use ten examples from my own life to them, and yeah. they yeah, I get it. Yeah, I get it. So we ha we ha I remember recently hired a guy from from Silicon Valley, and he he I remember he said one thing. I just want to be able to play tennis now and then. <laughs> and he couldn't oh, okay. in Silicon Valley because no. it's this this silly expectation that you should sit at the office from eight to ten, even if you're like browsing an online news site, right? Yeah. 
And he was sick and tired of it. Yeah. I want to play some tennis yeah. too. <laughs> um, what other, let's say, focus areas would you have as a founder today? For capital or no, in general, building a company? Yeah, from Norway, I'm building a company. What would you say talent is important? We need to attack it in yeah, different I mean, ways. I, th I think I would replicate many of the things we did. And, and, uh, and another thing I would replicate is uh, do not get too reliant on local capital. Yeah. It is a small country. It is always going to be a small country. And uh, my advice would be to try to connect yourself to uh, international capital. And I'm going to put hyphens around as soon as possible because I think we were a bit aggressive as soon as we had the cash to move, we were in New York. Yeah. But that was, again, trying to rectify for previous mistakes at Tidal. But, 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 but always have that in mind that my if you are on the VC capital route, which I believe many growth companies should be, yeah. um, just have that mindset that international capital is going to be a part of that mix. Yeah. And raising capital is first and foremost about trust, especially in the early years, because you have you don't have typically you don't have a lot of uh, data points to prove that this is the next uh, billion dollar company. Yeah. So you have to have trust and trusts. The key thing to building trust is time. Yeah. So if you plan to raise your B round in two to three to four years, whatever your plan is, and you typically think that that B round is going to be in the tens of uh, millions of dollars, which it should be, <laughs> depending on the company, of course, yeah. or more, then it's likely going to involve international capital. Yeah. And then it's likely smart to think about that two to three years before you need it. Yeah. yeah. And you say trust uh, is an important factor, but is there any, do you need to work in a different way but if you're looking for, say, local or Norwegian capital compared to international capital? Is it two different strategic yeah, workflows? I, I, uh, I'm, again, I'm, I'm not that uh, knowledgeable about Norwegian growth capital since we have been uh, yeah. raising foreign capital since our A round, really. But uh, but we have in Norwegian investors as part of the mix, yes. Invest in Nor, amongst others, which yeah. has been fantastic and are fantastic. have uh, been really aggressive through COVID-19. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I would imagine that uh, when you are raising capital in Norway as a Norwegian company, it's it's more of these uh, constant um, conversations uh, where you have to remain close to the community, so to say. While yeah. raising from the US, for instance, is more this traditional. You go in for a pitch meeting or you have a, a conversation with a principal where you give your pitch deck and they kind of uh, determine which of the five of the 500 they spoke to that gets yeah. to meet the partners, etc. So I would say internationally, typically more a classic, a classic uh, fundraising tactics. But I would imagine here in Norway, it's more about Building a close interpersonal connections, being yeah. at the right events, having building trust over time through to yeah. showing credibility over time. Yeah, um, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. So K KJ, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Before we end our chat, I have a question I want to 
uh, ask that we've asked all our guests actually. Um, is there any advice that you've received earlier in your career that you want to pass on to our listeners? Any advice that I would pass on? I would say that the advice we got from our first, the very first VC meeting uh, we had, that was a Norwegian meeting, that was with Jon Eivind. He was in Investinor at the moment, Jon Eivind Eriksson. He has now started his own investment uh, firm. Mm. And we, the very first meeting was with him. It was just Thomas and I. We were not ready. We're, 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 but again, back to my previous point, uh, getting that early, like if you want to race in a couple of years, let's start the dialogue now. So so, 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 so we wanted to kind of get input even though we weren't racing. Yeah. And, uh, and he said, uh, and I have those notes still, that I love the team. Meaning you, <laughs> two, two, two people at the time. I love uh, the kind of space and what you're trying to do, but your business model does not compute. Yeah, like you can you can probably go that route for a couple of years just by sheer tenacity and will raise some capital, build a small team, but your business model is like. Um, if you if you remember cartoons uh, of people in prison, they typically have this ball of, ball of chain, yeah, cha- yeah, ball of chain around their uh, feet that they can yeah. go for a certain certain distance, but but then it stops. Yeah, there's a hard stop. There's a hard stop, so yeah. you can run and you think, yeah, I'm running, yeah. I'm running, and then boom. Yeah. You, you okay? Oh, oh wow, I'm in prison. Yeah. Um, and that was his uh, advice that your business, how you're set up now to make money is going to uh, stop you at some point and not too far into the future. Yeah. So it all comes down to how you have set up uh, um, to actually attract those dollars cost-wise, how we're going to incentivize your uh, clients, um, how we're going to pay you, uh, how much the products products are priced, how you're taking payment from, and that might might sound like uh, like uh, yeah, that's easy. That's of course this category. It's not that easy. No. Uh, and we certainly had that wrong uh, in our first thoughts about um, how to build our company. And Jon Eivind, he was right, uh, and I have the notes to prove it. Yeah. So I would say, do not get in love with your product your ability to tell a compelling story. Uh, well, do love that too, but please uh, validate and revalidate and revalidate that the underlying business model makes sense now yeah. and in five years. Yeah. So revalidate. Endlessly. Yeah. Forever. Forever. Cool. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you. Shartan or KJ. Thank you. As it's from you. now on. Thank you. Thank you for listening in on my talk with Shadan. Want to listen to other talks that we've had? Make sure to subscribe to Growth wherever you listen to podcasts.